0: I think eventually when you're acting long enough, you realise you're always just trying to strive for a very authentic moment, in the moment, and the greatest thing about film is that you get to capture it, and then the greatest thing of theatre is that we all get to experience it together and then it's gone forever.
1: Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema. On this podcast from the British Independent Film Awards, we like to take a peek through the lobby door at the cinema experiences that inspired some incredible filmmaking talents. I'm Rihanna Dillon.
2: And I'm Michael leader and together we're talking to our guests about those trips to the pictures that got them hooked on film from their first take all the way to the modern day. What cinema's the best? If they could watch any film there, what would it be? And what, if anything, would they be snapping?
1: So, on to today's guest. She's been on stage and screen for a number of years now, but her upcoming film herself sees her not just in front of the camera, but behind it too, as she reveals her talents as a screenwriter as well as an actor.
2: Well, herself is one of those films that's been trapped in that unpredictable, sporadic COVID release cycle with cinemas (laughs) opening and closing and films being Mm -hmm. delayed. But now it's finally coming out and we were so happy to explore the film and so much more.
1: So here she is, Claire Dunn.
2: Claire Dunn, welcome to This Is My Cinema.
0: Thank you, it's great to be here.
2: So, we love creating this fairy tale setup where we ask our guests if you could have any film to show us one evening at the cinema what would it be and if there was a cinema that came to mind as well where you'd want to show it where would you be showing it does a film come to mind a
0: lot of films come to mind (laughs) and it was so funny when i was listening back to some other people's i was like damn it other people took mine i think like it's really hard to pick but i'm going to let me think i think i'm just gonna go for a more joyful one slash emotional roller coaster I think I'd like to go for (laughs) E.T. Proper old school. Because I've never seen it in the cinema. I saw it as a kid. I was on the telly. And I just randomly came across that weird ad they made in 2019 with (laughs) the kid in E.T. Like as an adult and all that kind of thing. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I love that. But I think just in terms of like the crack that could be had watching that. So... Look, if I come up with another answer in five minutes because I suddenly regret this, please don't kill me. But like my number one film in my family, like that I would love to sit down and watch personally is like The Snapper because, but it's very Dublin and I feel like I'd exclude people. I <laughs> feel like I don't really understand. It's a this is your film. cinema
1: though. This,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Well, we'll see. <laughs>
2: I'd
0: say they kick me out after about ten minutes of The Snapper. They'd be like, "What? This is so bad. It's so sexist. It's so eighties Ireland." I'd be like, "I know, I know," but it's funny.
2: What's this, The Snapper? I don't know why my head goes to horror film it doesn't sound like a horror film though I know it's not
0: it's not a it's not a horror film at all but basically it's. I love the way we've gone straight to the thing that I said I wouldn't put on in the cinema but let's go with it and basically The Snapper is a Roddy Doyle book that was made into a film and three of his, films, three of his books were made into films and this one is about a girl called Sharon Curley and you have to say it like that Sharon Curley and she accidentally gets pregnant but like when she was really, really drunk with somebody she really shouldn't have. And the whole film ends up being about her kind of dealing with the consequence of like, oh my God, I'm 19 and pregnant. And her dad and all her brothers and sisters and mom just kind of dealing with that as well. And it's in kind of, I suppose, maybe more early 90s of Ireland when actually... People were quite openly would like shout things across streets like, yes, law, like really (laughs) just like crass, mad, working class people that don't give a crap and everything, everyone's out for survival. It's kind of like, and everything's about knocking the best fun you can out of things with very little money. And it's just, it's Roddy Doyle at his best because his banter and dialogue and the characters and how they behave. And you think like at moments you're like, oh my God, what, what is going wrong with humanity in <laughs> these moments? Like if you were an outside eye. But then the, the heart and spirit of this family just burst through and it ends up being all about the love. You just embrace kids coming into the world and the messiness of life and family and relationships and just go for it anyway kind of thing. You know, it's really like it's very life affirming, but also hilarious. The funniest film ever.
1: And I know every line of it. I know every line. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had a quick look and it stars Tina Kelliger, who I grew up watching in Balika's Angel. Mm. So I am so ready to watch this film. Oh my God. And Cole Tina. Meany as well. Yeah, yeah. And directed by Stephen Frears.
0: Oh my God. And I met Stephen Frears auditioning for a little role in Philomena. And I met him and I didn't care about getting the role or not. I just <laughs> wanted to meet him and go, you're the guy that made the smapper. And he was just like, oh yeah, the snapper. And he just sat there telling me stories. (laughs) That's amazing. He just told me those stories. But he was like, oh, well, we just had the best fun. And when we couldn't get a joke to work, we all just sat around and tried to figure out a new joke. or like It was kind of like a sitcom vibe. And he was just saying how much fun they had in the making of it. And I I just felt off. wisdom I was like that's that's important that you have to have fun on
1: set all the way so yeah that was pretty amazing meeting him but then you didn't get the role in Philomena after you bonded <laughs> over the snapper what the hell
0: I actually did it just clashed with the theatre job I'd already oh, lined okay. up but it was still nice to get offered and lovely to be even you know in the room with him what a legend you know
2: it really sounds like we should be showing the snapper to <laughs> yeah <honest. laughs> okay. I, I, you've okay. you convinced okay. me now I want to see this film
0: uh, I think it's just because I saw that weird ad for E.T. and I thought <laughs> Oh, that will sound impressive on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So all of the London film goes will love this. <laughs> it sounds so grand.
2: No, that's not far. Oh good And so does a cinema come to mind? I mean, what was the sort of cinema growing up that you went to? Maybe that would be quite fitting if we're going all the way back to uh to sort of an Irish vibe.
0: There's a good few cinemas in Dublin. Obviously I'm from the capital, so we have a bit of choice. Back in the day I obviously lived in a well, I lived in kind of suburbia really. And would have gone to things like an omniplex, you know, in Stillorgan off the side of a Jill Carriageway, which isn't that great. But I think actually I'd go into the heart of Dublin somewhere. I'd probably go into the big screen in this in the old um oh sugar, what's it called? It's gone from me. The screen. It's just called screen. So, <laughs> and it's off Townsend Street. And I think they've actually closed it down now. But there's this big, huge main cinema that's like one of the ones, you know, where, where it has two floors and it has a balcony and the seats are real big and comfy, but it's a bit grimy as well. It's got like old, it's lived in, do you know what I mean? I think that could work because otherwise you're looking at very small, niche, fancy things in like Rathmines and stuff like the Stella where, you, you know, those ones where you like sit back on a chair and have things served to you. So you could go either way, really. But I think the Savoy might be good. You get more people in and I've got a big family got a big family so I want a bit more in especially with the COVID restrictions you know we don't have to spread out
1: oh this yeah. is true so did you I think I read that you've got is it are you are there six of you all together as siblings yeah and I've got you're five the sisters. oldest yeah five so were you in charge of who got to see what at the cinema because I feel like the older sibling always has that
0: I don't know. Power. Like, I think I obviously, we had to just go with what, what the parents were going to let us go see. But definitely, I don't know. I actually remember I did a very strange thing when I was 15. I went, I think I was 15 or maybe I was, She's actually, I think I was 13 or 14, but I was allowed to go places on my own. I think, like, it's it's a bit harder to go anywhere on your own when you're that age now. And I went to see, I think, Aaron Brockovich on my own. And that was me having taste and breaking away from the family. Before that, it was like Aladdin and the Lion King, (laughs) things like that in the cinema. And I used to go, we used to go at Christmas all the time to the big Christmassy films, like the Santa Claus movie and things like that. I wouldn't say I chose the movie. I'd say eventually when we were allowed to go to the movies ourselves, I maybe had a little bit of influence. Like I probably was the one that suggested we go see Titanic because that was the biggest. Mm -hmm. Leo fan in the world so yeah so I surreptitiously force my taste eventually
2: <laughs> <laughs> so when you mentioned going on your own to see Aaron Brockovich and that's when you say that you're developing taste you're, you're kind of <laughs> kind of cocking your eyebrow at that but like what what informed that change then when you were sort of going going out on your own why do you pick something like Aaron Brockovich in, in particular
0: Yeah it's funny isn't it because I I think I must have just saw the trailer and like heard some of her lines and went that sounds like a woman that I would love to be like and I suddenly became very lanky at 15 like I was actually quite small growing up and then I was suddenly really tall and gangly and didn't know what to do with my body and I saw Julie Roberts and her big long tall body just going here it is (laughs) and I was like yeah it can be cool to be tall like I was really you know it's that teenager phase where everything's an issue even when it's a good thing or you know what I mean and I was looking at her going wow and also just her talk because before that like I'd probably seen Judy Roberts in a couple of movies Pretty Woman and stuff but like this was like whoa you know uh, just some of the lines that she had even in the trailer I was like I have to see this And I went to see it and that had a profound impact on my life, like looking back on it. In fact, if you look at it and then go, oh, and I wrote herself, like it's kind of like, oh my God, like, you know, it's really like obvious. You're like, oh, yeah, that really had an impact on me because it was about somebody that's striving for something kind of bigger than themselves. And they kind of fight the system and they've got a mouth on them. They've got a bit of wit And they're not afraid they just they're they might be afraid but they're determined anyway and they've got that kind of spirit that's just like i'm gonna do it anyway and i i think i just absolutely fell in love with that in the film and also that it was based on truth you find out which is incredible
2: it's so funny to see how that might have had an influence later on but at what point did you when you're looking at someone like julia roberts on screen in that role at that stage were you thinking acting is something I want to pursue I could do that someday or was there a profound moment where you realized that
0: I don't know because I I think actually I was always looking at it with an eye for teaching drama or like directing I was never really I don't know I wasn't confident in acting as a career so I was always looking at it with a fascination and I think in retrospect I can see how I was always very very much listening to writing and going how did Mm. that person come up with that do you know what I mean I'd really hear it before I see it sometimes and um, so I don't know if I was initially into the acting side of it straight away but then I think once I I was in uh, about 16 and I had to do a play in school and then this woman said to me I should really think about it and over time I think it like sunk in that like oh I'm actually all right at this maybe I should give it a go so I, I think it, it, it happened in stages do you know what I mean and I think I had a couple of knocks along the way as well that made me go oh maybe no then you know so kind of a bit of a knock and then go no 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 I can and then a knock and then no 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 I get like so there was a few moments along the way that I had to kind of like decide whether I really wanted it or not and then eventually got into a drama skill, <laughs> got on with it because <laughs> you know it's like it's already hard enough trying to figure out what to do there's a lot of choice. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but then if you're just good at something and, you, and, and, and you're just afraid to do it, then like that's silly. You need to lean into it and go for it, I think, eventually.
1: And were you always writing at the same time? Was that always accompanying your other work?
0: No. I I was writing to survive, I think.
1: <laughs> I think I used
0: to write mm. to clear my head. Like I used to go, mm. I don't like I used as in like real simple things like, okay, I want to go into railing, but where do I want to go? And, like you know, figuring out things when you're writing it. But I used to think through writing. Do you know what I mean? I used to, like, use writing as just to clarify whatever I'm trying to figure out. So I used to think that was just helpful to me. And, like, I did it. And that was fine. I did write a few letters in my time back when it was actually still something you could kind of do. Even though emails had kind of come in, I wrote a few letters through uh, drama school to my granddad and stuff because he was old school. I would say that the writing really only kicked in uh, during drama school. I started just doing creative writing. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I think it was because in drama school, you're just so opened up all the time. You're doing like 45 hours a week of just consistent self-exploration artistic exploration just like (laughs) vocal training pushing your body and you're just this open valve and I think I used to just end up writing stuff and it would be kind of poems and songs mostly yeah mostly poetry actually and then we had to write something for stage and drama school and that's when I had to put form on something and throw it on a stage and I'd say it was my second year one where I I flourished and I really found something and went, oh yeah, like I can entertain people with my words. But even then, it was still very early days, very much like only I could speak this speech. <laughs> Nobody else will get it. And then it was, yeah, so it was a few years into my career before I was like, screenwriting, yes. So it was, it took a while
1: took a while. I think I read something that said um, Phyllida Lloyd wanted to do this film because it felt so theatre-like as well and she wanted to kind of move away from the more Hollywood aspect of filmmaking. So how did you keep the sensibilities of that very kind of raw performance in herself that feels like you're almost watching a play but it's still it's still beautiful and it's still very cinematic but how do you interweave those two? things.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think eventually when you're acting long enough, you realise you're always just trying to strive for a very authentic moment in the moment. And the the greatest thing about film is that you get to capture it. And then the greatest thing of theatre is that we all get to experience it together and then it's gone forever, but we all got it. Like so it's just like I always feel like eventually you're reaching for a similar thing. I think what had happened over time was that Philida had developed a rapport where it was sort of like we didn't really even need to talk much to communicate what we needed. Even though the film's got lots of stuff going on and people moving around, lifting things, and I don't know, there's violence, there's this, that and the other, there's screaming and shouting. But actually, the feeling on set was a very tender, collaborative feeling. You know? I think that's how Philadelphia will always work, whether it's theatre or film. And, and it's brilliant, because I think it drags people in, it's magnetic and it helps you become more magnetic in the moment in front of the camera so she doesn't shout she just kind of speaks really quietly and then everybody is included everybody is included in the whole process
2: I'd like to know more about the other collaborators behind the scenes because uh, co-writing the script with Malcolm Campbell you know producing with Sharon Horgan behind the scenes as well so almost that journey from the self-expression of the piece and then how it's molded with in collaboration with all these people what did you take from them or learn from them
0: I just learned how to shed, constantly shed drafts and not be afraid that there's nothing left in the tank. A film is a miracle. You gotta play with that energy. You gotta play like as in I say a film is a miracle because it it is because there's so many pieces that have to come together and join at once and sync. And it all comes together in one and like that's why people talk about it and, and strive for it so much. It's because not only, yes, you need money, but you need the right collaborators, the right production designers and crew, cast, everything. It all has to happen. And then it's like an orchestra and a symphony and it works. And I learned if you want to create that, well, then you got to let go of control sometimes and allow it to become what it needs to become which at the start initially is just you letting go of drafts and writing new ones and, you know, like being open to your script editor's ideas. And script editors are amazing. at sometimes helping, helping you just get out of a corner you've gotten into in your brain. And then sometimes there's things worth fighting for to keep. Sometimes... They're not. It all works out in the wash, usually in the edit, if you're lucky. I really learned about stamina as well and minding yourself, especially from Phyllida because, like, she seems so quiet, but actually she's working so hard all the time in the background and she barely sleeps. And I think I learned about a maintenance of a calm energy to sort of see it through. It also taught me a lot about screen acting, but I don't think I learned it on that job or anything. I think I'm very raw on this job. (laughs) Like, I don't. Like, I feel like I only learned about screen acting in the last year when I was doing a TV series. I feel like on that I was just by the skin of my teeth doing something. And then I really learned from Malcolm as well, the, the screenwriter who came on board for the final year. He asked me for my earliest drafts. You're talking 20 drafts ago. And so he did this amazing magic trick, I don't know, folding some old things back in that got lost along the way that maybe I'd let go of too much. And he was like, that's actually really important. And it came from you in the beginning of the story when you uh, started writing it. And I think it's actually really vital. So he just, I don't know, that, that made me learn something that, like, it's worth it to go and develop a script and go... Out, like go for it go for it go for it and then like maybe when you're in your final stages just go back to your first draft that you ever wrote maybe the first two or three and just like reread them and go oh yeah, I remember where this came from in me I don't know where it comes from but you know what I mean as in like just remember the initial utterance of the story because there's something in that because you're you had a whole urge in yourself to even tell the story in the first place so there's something there that you should never lose So I think it's important to go back there, you know.
1: It's really refreshing to hear you talk about the help that you received because I feel like in the creative arts, it must be so difficult to ask for help when you're sort of expected to know it all and do it all. So then to just have those real collaborations feels really, really lovely to hear about and really important, I think.
0: Yeah, like, and also, like, I think we all forget, well, I always do anyway, is that if you ask someone else for help meaningfully in life ever, they're usually really honoured that you're asking them. Mm. Like, they feel really useful and there's like lots of meaning in that. And I never knew that until I was sort of forced to ask for help for something one day and this woman explained to me, she was like, when you ask me for help and I say, yeah... That's because I really want to and you've actually kind of made my day there. Kind of had nothing to do for the next couple of hours and I really want to help you that. <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? It's like we all have moments where we're just like, I just don't know. There is a beautiful exchange that happens in helping because helping sometimes can actually be not just a plaster on a cut. It's kind of like somebody might teach you something. And because they're teaching you, they learn it better for themselves as well. Or... I don't know, do you know what I mean? There's there's a process in helping each other that's actually like natural and it's in us and we sometimes just forget.
2: I'd like to go back on this film journey. So I think we got all the way up to about your teenage years and then we started talking about what you, you studied in Cardiff Drama School. And you you, you talked about it being this open valve poetry, all this writing coming out, but also what's great about those years is you're just taking so much in as well. And were films part of that? Were there actors, screenwriters, filmmakers that you were responding to at that time? That, 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 that may, may, maybe in a different way to the way you were responding to Leonardo DiCaprio when you were a kid. But, uh. <laughs>
0: yeah, so I'm, just, I'm kind of doing that thing where you're like, can I remember anything? We had Paul Abbott visit us in drama school and I really liked him. I thought, wow, this guy has lived. And he's an actual person and he's not just like, I'm only here to be in the industry and give you an industry talk. There was something about the weight of his wisdom and he was just a lovely, lovely man and very authentic to who he was. And even though uh, obviously a lot of Northern English people were just like, he's ours kind of thing, really felt like <laughs> close to him. I was like, God, I feel like this guy is speaking a language I can understand So I'd say that had a huge influence on me. We did do a screen acting module at one point, but I mean, it was as simple as like learning what a two shot is, what a one shot is and like really basic stuff. So it was okay. And I learned some things, but I I think I probably learned more from moments like that, like meeting screenwriters. And then also that was when I started really going to the cinema on my own a fair bit as well. And I just remember... I'm just realising now, the Coen brothers are probably, I probably became a bit of fan of them. I loved Quentin Tarantino as well and the Kill Bill stuff. But then I also loved just great Oscar winning performances like Kate Winslet and The Readers. Things like that. I think I, maybe like most actors, I do gravitate towards like the character things. But I also love the Shazam, you know, the Quentin Tarantino stuff, like the music, like the giving you an experience in your body when you're sitting in the cinema and just being like, oh my God, yes. I think that really hit home What I was in drama school. I was still getting a lot of certain kinds of feedback from people who were more image concerned in, in our industry at the time. It feels like a different world now where I sort of was resigned to the fact that maybe I wouldn't get too much screen work, but I never really worried about it. I just kind of went, okay, and got on with things I really realized though that like in my 20s I was like but I'm in love with cinema I'm in love with it it's a whole experience it's all the art forms in one place and a group of people sit in a dark room to be completely consumed by it my big breakthrough to becoming a writer was me kind of back against the wall moment going like wow like I've done one short film it's I don't know if it's happening you know what I mean but my, my question to myself was, Claire, what are you gonna do? Because like you you actually love it so much. I just had to ask myself, what can I do next? And I realized my only next skill was a bit of writing. And and so literally it was like, thank God I just stayed in love with her. <laughs> the cinema. <laughs> because it, it actually ended up being the best journey of my life then, because then I got to learn how you actually make a bloody film from scratch and how it's literally somebody walking around with a fantasy in their head at first and just paying attention to it (laughs) and then then getting other people to fantasize with them (laughs) you know what I mean like at the start we're all just idiots in the mist going let's try and get someone to give us five million euro to make this fantasy come true and we're, we're like it's crazy it's crazy that we even do that so it was amazing to learn that and go on that epic kind of journey inside and out. So I'm really glad now in retrospect. So I got to got a little taste of both.
2: <laughs> do you still love cinema in the same way now that you do know all that stuff that you've made a film or is it a different experience now?
0: I think like it, it is hard, isn't it, to not see it with your eyes that have seen edits of films or know how it works, how you shoot things. It is hard to let go of that. I think when I've let go of it, it means the film is amazing. And actually, what reinstills my love of cinema is that still happens to me. And I know it didn't happen as much over pandemic, but even watching stuff at home and trying to stream stuff or whatever, I still was like, yeah, man, films are everything. Like I could be washed out on the floor, completely depressed out of my life, and I'll go to the cinema on my own and I'll come out a bit better on the other side. I feel like there is something about movies. I know it's so funny, like we're in this age and we're all so consumed with actually being mindful, being really present, right? Because we know there's like a million things around us to take our attention. But sometimes I'm like a completely beautiful, immersive, communal experience like that. It's like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes to go away, you go away like that to come back to yourself. So actually I think there's a the beauty in this kind of deep immersive thing back into humanity and storytelling about who we are and what's actually meaningful to bring you back to yourself and what you think is meaningful and what you enjoy as well. Like it also is about joy. Oh my God, for instance, like a a couple of weeks ago, I saw the film Another Round. Oh, yes. Don't even. I just, I mean, that film, I literally was like, yeah, well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like I mean, (laughs) and I was like, Okay, everybody needs to see this. I mean, I was ringing people. I was like, you know, like, because I'm Irish, like, I'm in a drink culture as well, you know. But I was like, no, but this isn't, like, looking at it in the same way anymore. This is, like, about a guy he's, like, lost. He's asleep in his life. And then him and his mates try and help each other out. And there's this whole journey. And it's not saying what's right or wrong. They all have different things that happen to them because of this thing they do and then the glory of the last few minutes like oh everyone that's listening go see another round it is the most beautiful film you'll ever see it'll just feed your soul oh gorgeous
1: so it sounds like you are somebody who really loves to talk about film so when you go and see a film by yourself how do you then (laughs) communicate your love of of said film with everybody that you meet who hasn't necessarily seen it. Because like some of the joy is going to the pub afterwards and dissecting it to death with a mate. So when you're by yourself, how does that come out?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes okay, I remember seeing boyhood and I I literally was basking. I was like, oh my (laughs) God. And I remember coming out of the cinema and it was like a summer's evening in Dublin. was actually already quite dark and I was walking along and I was like I was like oh my god I felt like I was on drugs I was so high from the love of that film and and the dedication and the amount it took to make it and the people involved and I was like oh my god and I was walking along and I I don't know I think I just walked along looking like I was stoned for a while and I eventually walked out of the city centre towards the canal and then just bumped into a bunch of friends who were sitting by the canal having an old summer evening drink and I was like I have to tell you about this. <laughs> so I think I think if I didn't find somebody, I would have probably rang uh, my dad or someone or somebody who just really gets me and just be like, oh my God, you have to get this. You have to see it. Yeah, I suppose that like at the time, it's funny you say like, oh, do you go to the pub and blah, blah, blah. Actually, at that time, I was um, a year uh, of not drinking. I was actually just doing a year of not drinking. So I didn't need that, but I needed to bloody express it. <laughs> and so I just I just remember I was just awake a lot that night. Just kind of thinking about it and musing upon it, I think he's brilliant, Richard Linklater. He's had a bit of an influence on me, I think, as well, without knowing
2: it. I absolutely loved that. No, that's that is, I've makes me want to go back and rewatch another round. <laughs> another round or another round, definitely.
1: What is there? Has there been like sort of one moment that you are so glad that you did see in a cinema, surrounded by people, whether you knew them or not, but you know, like a really huge, powerful cinematic moment, not an explosion, but just a moment. Okay, this might sound a bit sonorous, but the Magdalene sisters, or
0: Magdalene, okay. Mm. So I went to see that with my dad and my granny, who's who's passed away now, but we went to see it in a cinema in Dublin and it was quite packed, like it was quite full, and it was like a Friday night or whatever. And we went to see it and it was like obviously one of the most socially conscious and impactful kind of like, here's a story about your culture, we've got to look at this. And it was really weird because I was sitting there knowing that like my mum and dad had me really young and they, they had to kind of fight, stay together and keep me and all this kind of thing. So that was kind of in me anyway, like as in I was always told, like I was slightly like a bit of a, you know, surprise. But then, this because... Like I was born uh, in the late 80s in Ireland and then my granny was sitting there and she was a woman who most of her life, educated by nuns, was very Catholic and all. And then suddenly, like when she was in her late 50s or 60s, was just like, I don't know, I think all that's a bit low, a bit, a bit wrong. Like, And she just read everything. She read like everything to do with Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, The she read the Quran, she read everything. She became a reflexologist. (laughs) She like just completely opened up herself to believe in other things. So, so this really open minded older woman, my granny, and then my my dad, and they've been through so much in their own lives with certain things. And I'm sitting there, and this film happens, and then the most amazing thing happened at the end. The music comes on, the credits are going, and no one in the cinema spoke. Nobody spoke. And everybody silently stood and peeled out of the cinema silently out of respect for all the women that had been through what those girls have been through. And it was like a weird sort of like honouring them moment. And it was sad, but it was also beautiful. We can never know how much they went through and that to me was like a sign I was like okay there's cinema there's stories and cinema experiences that can literally help shift people forward in generational healing and moving forward in their consciousness and letting go of the past and that was like so I was glad I was there for that one (laughs) it sounds sad but it was actually beautiful it was really beautiful
2: I'd like to just recap this cinema experience because did we fight did, I think did we agree on The Snapper as the film I just want to give you one more chance to change back to E.T. because <laughs> I, I think Rihanna and I we're, we're, we're all in on The Snapper
0: okay we'll stick with The Snapper
2: and what was the Dublin cinema we went for in the end was there was the one in particular?
0: Yeah, I'd say... It's funny, though, because I didn't go to that one that much. <laughs> you know, you're like, that's actually one that I didn't go to that much, but I feel like it'd be good crap. Okay, let's just say... We'll, we'll say the Stella and Ralph wines and go posh on it.
2: Maybe we can push the boat out, Rihanna. Do we have a budget for a Stephen Frears Q and A hosted by Claire at the end? Because I want to hear 100%. these. hundred percent. I want to hear these hear anecdotes. These stories. <laughs> <after
0: it>. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be the main thing, and for everyone to just get exactly the food and snacks that they want, go mad and just yeah,
1: enjoy themselves.
0: That's
2: amazing.
1: Hold on, we need to drill down yeah. into the snacks. Yeah, you've so, mentioned yeah. food and
2: snacks now, which is the big question <laughs> okay. at the end, isn't it? As we always ask so. Everyone has their, their own opinion on what is a good cinema snack, cinema drink, whether you're, you're allowed any drinks or snacks in the cinema. Uh, what's your favorite setup? for that? I
0: love, I, I have to say, I just do love salted popcorn. I'm not mad on sweet. I love salted popcorn. But then mixing in any form of minstrels, M&Ms, chocolate raisins, <laughs> buttons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I love having the sweet with the sweet but then chucking them in into the salty. It's a whole thing. I used to love an old Diet Coke mostly, like a little fizzy drink with with it. Um, and then I've had to cut down on Diet Coke years ago, so I'd just have sparkling water or something. Mm, actually, with that film, you probably could have a glass of wine with it and get a bit buzzed. A beer. A pint of Guinness. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you could have it all. You could have a whole... And also, maybe Tato Crisps as well, because actually the snapper is mad and loud so it doesn't matter that we're making noise with snacks like Mm -hmm. it's it's raucous it's got plenty going on we'd be all right we'd be laughing I'm so excited to to watch
1: the snapper like you've got me so hyped for it i've got like a two hours now i'm gonna go watch it uh, right now uh, i really hope it meets your expectations <laughs> it better claire it better oh god thank you so much for talking to us it's been such a joy and full of lovely discoveries as well oh,
0: thanks Amelia. thanks for having me on rihanna and michael it was great to talk to you
1: that was fascinating. I really loved hearing Claire talking about how important it is to be able to ask for help and that sort of collaborative process being a writer and actor on something like herself.
2: And what great films She mentioned on her journey from being that little kid all the way to who she is now. Erin Brockovich as the movie that opens your eyes to the potential of cinema. What a cool film to see at an impressionable age. And of course, Rihanna, we've got to mention this film, The Snapper. I am so
1: desperate to see The Snapper. She sold it so well. I mean, you essentially bullied her into making it her film of the choice. But let's be honest, so much more fun than E.T., right?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. we've seen et seen many ET? times before
1: <laughs> <laughs> big thanks again to claire for joining us for this conversation and if you've just discovered the podcast and want to hear more trips down cinematic memory lane just check in our feed for our back catalogue and whilst you're there give us a review as well
2: thanks for listening bye This is My Cinema, is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa.
1: The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader.
2: It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken, and Harold McShiel. And
1: we're edited by Content Is Queen.